Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, one of the fix our computers problems may be too much security. It's great to have all of those layers of security, but if there's so much security, the platforms and, and the hardware are not going to be usable. The people problem that's holding back the contracting community. If it still takes you nine months to hire somebody through the office personnel management system, you're not going to get there very fast. And paralysis by analysis stops progress in government tech. When you have that kind of a focus, you're going to constantly doubt yourself and second guess yourself until once again it takes years to implement an EHR solution or years to get an ERP in place. It's Tuesday, February 8th, 2022. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. More than 500 businesses around the country are on the second round of awards for the STARS-3 Small Business Government-Wide Acquisition Contract. The contract includes an emphasis on emerging technology like artificial intelligence, blockchain, and robotic process automation. The contract asks for companies to provide best value solutions outside the continental United States, too. The Air Force's top acquisition officer is finally in place. The Senate confirmed Andrew Hunter unanimously to take the job of Assistant Secretary for Acquisition Technology and Logistics. Hunter's former head of the Defense Department's Joint Rapid Acquisition Cell. Fix Our Computers has become a rallying cry across the Defense Department after a post on LinkedIn asking IT leaders in the Pentagon to do just that. That LinkedIn post now is drawing a response from those IT leaders across the department. Billy Mitchell is writing about it on fedscoop.com. Billy, welcome. This whole thing started with a post from somebody that maybe isn't top of mind uh, knowledge-wise in the department, but who knows what he's talking about, right? Welcome. Yeah, thanks, Francis, and congrats on 100 episodes. That's a big deal. Um, yeah, so this all came about about a week ago. A gentleman by the name of Michael Kanan, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, he's the director of ops for the Air Force and MIT AI Accelerator, and he wrote this very spirited open letter titled Fix Our Computers. And uh, it was a little bit, I, I say spirited with maybe quotation marks around it, because it was a bit of a tirade, and he, he really went off on how bad the computers and just the basic hardware and, and computing and processing in, in the DOD is. And I, I think it really illuminates that the DOD, yeah, it's a big organization that has some very big um, ideas about things it wants to do and innovation and modernization, these things. But none of that can happen if you're sitting there for an hour or an hour and a half every morning to get your computer started or waiting for an email to send, which is sort of what uh, Michael goes on to describe in his his uh, his long-winded uh, uh, open letter. And he says things like, uh, you know, if you want to innovate, fix our computers first. We're the most, uh, we're the richest and most powerful military in the world, but we can't even fix our own computers. And it, it kind of puts this, uh, this spotlight on the fact that if, if the DOD really wants to catch up and do things and compete in a digital sense, it's got to start with the basic things. <laughs> and that's allowing... Uh, soldiers, uniformed folks, or even the civilians to, to be able to do uh, the most basic computing processes. He writes in this post, I turned my computer on and it sat at 100% CPU usage. Fix our computers. Tanium battling McAfee for scans all day takes up 40% of the processes inside the machine. Fix our computers. My computer updated and restarted 10 times today. Fix our computers. What's striking to me about the post is not what he wrote sadly we hear those stories all the time anecdotally 
What's striking to me is what you're writing about at the top of fedscoop.com today, which is he's getting attention from John Sherman. He's getting attention from Raj Iyer. He's getting attention from Lauren Nausenberger. He's getting attention from Aaron Weiss. People are paying attention to this, what seems to me to be for the first time ever, Billy. Yeah, and I think I'll be a little candid about the way we covered this in that, you know, when we first saw Michael's post on LinkedIn, people, you know, write grievances on on open social media a lot about these types of things. And so we said, you know, we know who Michael is and uh, he does have a, a good perspective and he's, he's you know, well regarded in, in the DoD space for his thoughts on AI. But um, maybe this is just another you know, rant or complaint. And, and that's kind of how we took it. And we kind of uh, decided maybe we were not going to cover this, but we'll see what happens. And it really started to catch steam and other people sort of piled on and his his post got, you know, thousands of uh, reactions and hundreds of comments. And um, then late last week, we saw the, the DOD CIO and like you mentioned, several other service CIOs come through and say, wow, we, we've, we hear what you're saying and uh, we can't help but respond and say, we're going to help help make this better and, you know, listed a, a number of things they're doing that are trying to deconflict all the processes going on on the on the back end of those computers and, and say, hey, we hear you and we're going to do our due diligence to fix this. And I thought that was that was really surprising. I didn't expect, you know, to have this joint letter in response from some of the most powerful IT officials in the, in the U.S. government. It's that, yes. It's also Frank Kendall, the secretary of the Air Force, addressed this in a in, in an open session with the command sergeant major of the Air Force. Like this is this time it's gotten all the way to the top, Billy. Yeah, it's surprising. And I wouldn't be surprised if it gets higher than that to, you know, some of the senior leaders at the Pentagon um, as as it, it becomes apparent that, you know, it, if they want to move forward with things like JADC2 and um, multi-domain operations that are IT dependent, yet uh, people can't do their their daily work inside the Pentagon. Um, it, it just it, it doesn't work this way. So um, I, I think it, it, it is really apparent how important this is and that it's going to be something that needs to be fixed if uh, the DOD is going to become an efficient and effective and relevant organization in, in the 21st century. Uh, the headline of your story is after calls to fix our computers, military CIOs pledge to get it right. Do we have a sense of what get it right means and what that will mean to the warfighter and the civilian that supports the warfighter? So they, they they gave a couple things that they're working on, enabling telework capabilities, which is something, you know, they've been working on for two years plus now, but, you know, making sure that those work effectively. And that's, you know, one of the criticisms that people had is that they've kind of built this telework environment uh, based off of Microsoft's teams, but uh, it doesn't necessarily work for everyone the same way. And uh, there's a lot of processes laid on top that make things slow down in terms of the security, which, you know, makes sense. The DOD is one of the most sensitive, secured organizations in the world. So things are going to run differently, but also providing users with new and higher performing laptops. I just spoke to another CIO that's going through a tech refresh and it's, it's those really basic things that, you know, you might take for granted, but it needs to be done on a regular basis, um, updating software, patching things so that programs continue to run effectively and efficiently. So not only are you secure, there's one end of secure, but you have to make things usable. If you can't kind of meet those in the middle, uh, neither of them are going to work correctly. Um, and then finally, they mentioned, you know, decreasing network latency, which kind of gets to Kanan's point with, I, I think, some of the things about Tanium and other things battling in the background and that CPU usage being at 100%. Um, they need to sort of deconflict those things 
things so that, um, yeah, it's great to have all of those layers of security, but if there's so much security, the, the, the platforms and, and the hardware are not going to be usable because it's, it's maxing out in, in either dying or just uh, rendering itself so slow that it, it's, it's a terrible user experience. All right. A uh, great story, a great synopsis of what's going on, and I appreciate you coming on to talk about it, Billy. Thanks, as always, Francis. It's a great pleasure to chat with you. You can read Billy's story and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. IT Mod Week is less than a month away now. It's coming February 28th through March 4th. More than 100 events happening around D.C., lots of government and industry speakers. You can find a link to learn more and see the schedule in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Defense Department says it's making protecting the defense industrial base from cyber threats a top priority, according to Dave McEwen, the deputy CIO for cyber. The department's moving its cybersecurity maturity model certification from the acquisition office to the DOD chief information officer's office. David Berto's president and CEO of the Professional Services Council. He's former assistant secretary of defense for logistics and materiel readiness. Dave, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. I call on your uh, expertise in materiel and logistics to kind of apply that lens to the cyber problem. How do you see that cyber problem is in the defense industrial base from a logistics supply chain materiel perspective? Welcome. Thank you, Francis. And so we, let's take a look at where we are and where we know we are before we talk about where we're going here. One thing we know for certain in the cyber realm is that the threats of cybersecurity continue to grow both in magnitude and in quantity uh, and in occurrences, and that what we're doing now is not enough, right? Because otherwise that the, the consequences would not be continuing to go up. So the vulnerabilities are there. Much of the focus of both CMMC and broader programs has been on the major defense manufacturing companies. And a lot of that focus has been on protecting technical data, particularly technical data that are that our competitors, as we like to call them, our potential enemies, could be using to develop systems using our technology. There's another side to that, though, that I think has been missing from all of this, and that is the protection of operational data, which is where material readiness and, and logistics sustainment and readiness comes into play. Um, you know, all it takes is a fuel order that has the type of fuel, the quantity of fuel, where and when it has to be delivered, and suddenly you've got operationally sensitive data. And by the way, that fuel processing is being done in the global commercial marketplace, not inside the defense industrial base. So first of all, the dimensions of the problem are huge and they're growing. Secondly, what we're doing now is not enough. So we have to look at these uh, uh, activities in DOD and particularly the new CMMC 2.0 and the migration of the responsibility of that from the acquisition side to the CIO through the prism of those two uh, characteristics. When you say that the what we're doing now is not enough, what is enough? What bridges that gap, Dave? Well, I think there's three things. Number one is, in fact, uh, you know, the actual uh, ability to protect against attacks and to be able to respond to attacks. And much of the focus of CMMC has been on having robust internal systems and defenses complying with the NIST standards, uh, which, by the way, are now a couple of years old. Uh, so you also have to be current and up to date. One of the problems with any government system, and CMMC was this way all along, was going to you were gonna be certified for three years. Well, the threat changes every three minutes. So how do you actually have a system that does that? Nobody's answered that question yet. 
So that's part of what's now. The second, though, is information sharing. Uh, you know, the Cyber, uh, Cybersecurity Solarium Commission proposed this. We had language in the National Defense Authorization Act that fell out in the, in the end that compels entities. And I would put the government in that box as well as companies to identify and share information of when they've been attacked and what the consequences of that are. Ultimately, you cannot win this battle one system at a time. It's got to be integrated across the board. All right. Uh, respond to attacks. Uh, response to attacks is the first pillar. Information sharing, the second pillar. And you mentioned three. What's the third one, Dave? The third one actually gets at the issue of we need better systems in the first place. Right. And so that needs resources. It needs focus and it needs speed. Um, you know, you've got uh, the, the issue of fix our computers inside DOD. And uh, I know that the CIO has posted something that says we're on it, we're working on it. Uh, we also know they're resource constrained and they don't have as much money as they would like to have, particularly when you're operating under a continuing resolution. Today is February the 8th. Yesterday, we were supposed to have the FY23 budget. That's not going to be released. Why? We don't have a deal on FY22 yet. And the start of every budget is last year's budget. In, the, in addition to that, the CR constraints, which is don't start anything new, has slowed it down even more. Francis, we've this is our 11th CR in the last 12 years, so we think we know what we're doing. I have never seen a time where as many awards are being delayed as under this CR. And I think it's both the uncertainty and the extent of that uncertainty chronologically that makes that a difficulty. It's penetrating to the stock market. You're actually seeing companies report that they didn't meet their fourth quarter earnings, first quarter of the fiscal year, because of slowdowns under CRs. It's hurting the stock price. This inhibits the company's ability to get access to the capital that they need to make their own internal investments. So it's resources across the board and it's execution. Um, you mentioned fix our computers, talked about that a moment ago with my colleague, Billy Mitchell. And is it enough for the officials in the department like John Sherman, the CIOs of the services to say we're on it? Because the fear that I have is that implies that they're, and I know they're not saying this. I'm reading between the lines that someone in the department might think, well, if they say they're on it, what was everybody else doing all those previous years? You know, one of those people's Dave Wenigren, he'll be on the program uh, in just a few minutes. But these people have historically through at least the last 15 years that I've been in this space, they've all been working hard on it. They've all been on it. And yet we still have the problems that we have that are talked about and fix our computers. Well, then that's why I focus on execution. You know, let, let's look at the technology modernization fund, which is being run uh, out of the central operations at OMB and, and GSA. Um, we got a billion dollars allocated to that in the in the uh, America's Recovery Plan Act uh, last March. So that's now 11 months ago. Of that billion dollars so far, only under less than 400 million has been committed, even though they've got $3 billion worth of proposals in the system there. So it isn't that we don't know what we want to do. It's that we're not moving fast enough doing it. And I think that focus on execution has to start at the top, but has to go all the way down at the bottom. It's got to start at the White House and OMB and GSA. It's got to start at John Sherman's level in DOD. It's got to permeate through the military departments and the and the uh, defense agencies throughout the Defense Department. But I've talked to Claire Martirano on this program i've talked to other members of the tmf board on and off the program they're plowing through these as quickly as they can because all the members of the tmf board have day jobs they're all they're doing that they're performing that uh, that's an, another duty as a sign not their full-time jobs I, I i take your point but i wonder at what point we can say well there's only so much capacity to be able to execute all the things that need to be executed 
Well, there, there is a, a, a resource constraint, as you imply, in terms of the capability and capacity of the government itself. Right. One of the things that PSC has long argued for is we need enough technically proficient and qualified government personnel, both setting the requirements and then soliciting, evaluating, and awarding the contracts and overseeing the performance of those contracts, managing the performance of those contracts. That needs to be beefed up. I think that it's, if it still takes you nine months to hire somebody through the Office of Personnel Management System, you're not going to get there very fast. So really, uh, I guess the prescription is more than just fix our computers. It's fixed everything. Where do you start? Cybersecurity is a pretty good anchor place to start because if you don't have that, the rest of it will fall apart. Yeah, the challenge is that as you take me down this path, Dave, and I appreciate it, but these are really foundational problems, you know, hiring and, and retention. If that's the basis of all of this, that's really broken. And, and you and I have talked about that before. I've talked about it a lot on this program, all the outlets I've been on over the years. It's a, it's a longstanding problem that nobody seems to be able to crack. It, it is, but you know, better use of government contractors is a good short-term solution to that problem. If you, in fact, write your requirements properly, solicit, evaluate an award, and you focus on results and outcomes, the companies have the agility and the capability to get the talent, apply it quickly, and deliver results quickly. Um, now, if it takes you 18 months to award the contract, that's you know a, a different set of the problems. But I think it, the, the capability to get the talent we need in the time frame we need to apply it is much better if you do a better alliance in that partnership with the private sector. Well, and you're well aware of the fight that you would face on the flip side of that, of what's inherently governmental and what's not, and how you determine all of that. I, I am aware of that. I do believe that, in fact, you can do this in such a way that it maintains the government's prerogatives in terms of inherently governmental functions and has the necessary management oversight uh, going forward as well. The trick is really define what results you want. Don't tell me how many people with how many years of experience and, and education experience along the way. Let's write the contracts better and then you can get better results. Dave, it's always great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the 100th episode. It's great to have you today. My pleasure. I look forward to 100th and the 200th and the 300th. Thank you, Francis. You can read more about the DOD supply chain in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. Coming on Wednesday's show, the state of data at one of the government's highest profile science agencies. The chief data officer at NASA, Ron Thompson, is on tomorrow's Daily Scoop podcast. That show debuts Wednesday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. As you learned earlier in the program, the chief information officer of the Pentagon, John Sherman, and the CIOs of the services promised to fix the IT problems in the Fix Our Computers post on LinkedIn. Those problems include long login times, slow hardware, and software conflicts. Dave Wenergren is chief executive officer of ACT-IAC. He's former chief information officer of the Navy, former Defense Department deputy CIO, and former assistant deputy chief management officer at the Pentagon. It's great to see you, my friend. Thanks very much for coming on our 100th episode today. Um, for the folks who haven't seen it, the Fix Our Computer post on LinkedIn is a long, long list of complaints by a very high-level official at the Air Force MIT Artificial Intelligence Organization talking about the challenges that he personally has just trying to do the very basics. It was very damning. It was very comprehensive and I think laid out very effectively. 
how did we get to a spot, Dave, where somebody is having the most basic problems with technology in the Defense Department at a fairly high level where I would think technical proficiency is really important? Welcome, Dave. It's great to be here and congratulations on the 100th episode. You know, we'll start with quick context setting to say that, you know, the Department of Defense is a massive place, perhaps the most complex environment in the world. Millions of people worldwide deployed in hostile environments at sea, under the sea, in the air. It dwarfs the size and complexity of just about any other organization in the world, be it government or private sector. But having said that, you can't buy computers like you buy ships. And I do feel like this speaks to the difference between the sort of laser-like focus that the department has on oversight versus a focus on outcomes. Large acquisitions in DOD are really, really large, and they undergo extreme scrutiny. And that's understandable because millions and billions of dollars are being spent. But sometimes that scrutiny can become a huge drain and a tax to progress. We, we used to refer to it as stepping on someone's air hose slowly as they are able to breathe less and less and expecting them to be able to move faster and faster. Size plus complexity plus extreme oversight makes it hard to deploy rapidly, hard to stay abreast of technology, hard to keep the customer engaged. I could share with your audience so many stories, but I'll just do a couple of quick little anecdotes. I remember when the Department of Defense testing apparatus wanted to do a technology readiness assessment on the Oracle eBusiness Suite. Now, technology readiness assessments are a DoD process to make sure that new technologies like a new propeller are going to be suitable for DoD industrial strength use, not for commercial off-the-shelf products that are being used in, in thousands of places around the world. And oh, by the way, they failed the technology readiness assessment, as in like we couldn't make it work in DoD despite the fact that it works everyplace else. Every time we went to the cost assessment people at the time, because, of course, I've been out for a while now, with, with the importance of service-oriented architecture, the response back was, well, the department has not been so good at that. And, of course, the answer was because every time we tried to do it, it was sort of thwarted, slowed down. And so there is this difference between, you know, being so cautious that we take forever to do things. And, and then we get to this place where computers are decades old and refresh rates are horrible. And then there's also the parallel thing about competing equities. And if competing equities are allowed to reign unchecked, then you have like the, the crucial imperative of security, not maybe enhancing the mission, but making it longer, for example, to log on. Uh, this post is called the Fix Our Computers post because that's a tagline that Michael Kanan uh, uses. He's director of operations at the Air Force MIT Artificial Intelligence Center. And uh, some of these things are just harrowing. Um, uh, we're the richest and most well-funded military in the world. I timed an hour and 20 minutes from logging on to Outlook opening today, Fix Our Computers. And he uses that term over and over again. Turned on my computer and it sat at 100% CPU usage fix our computers, uh, open an Excel file today, my computer froze, needed to be restarted, fix our computers. What do we do in this situation, Dave, given the context that you just laid out, which is, uh, it syncs with what I have been told by other people in similar uh, situations to the ones that you served in. Uh, what do we do? How do we fix this? Because these things are not, they're just not acceptable. They're, they're not. And of course, you know, there, there's there's a thousand opinions about this. And I'll, I'll offer a few ideas. But but, you know, because it because it is true that, like, you know, the predominance of effort is for the major warfighting effort. 
And so oftentimes the, the back office side of it takes a back seat and becomes hard to compete for the battle for resources with, with you know, the cutting edge missile systems and, and things like that. But, but having said that, it's a big enough place you should be able to do both. And I, I think part of the challenge is the way we go about doing it the complex acquisition processes that we use. You've seen this like great growth in other transaction authority. That's a direct reflection of takes too long, too hard to use the waterfall acquisition process, right? And so some of the things like modular approaches and doing things in smaller bites where you can make improvements quicker is, is useful. But we also don't take enough advantage of the idea that sometimes it's hard for us to do it ourselves and we should just have somebody else do it. Now you can say what you want about the Navy Marine Corps intranet decades ago in the, uh, you know, in the last millennium when it was put into place. But this idea about turning it over to the private sector in a performance-based outcome way is not new news. It's the way we do all our cloud stuff now, but it was sort of revolutionary at the time. And what it did do, despite any criticisms you might have about how the world changed and cyber changed and joint operations changed, is it made things happen really fast. And it put the Department of the Navy on our, on our tech refresh rate much better than the decades-long tech refresh rate in the operational units that existed before. And so sometimes this idea about letting somebody else who's more expert in the field come and do it for you can help bring speed, but it does require us to be willing to give up some personal control. Well, and I remember the freakouts that people had when that happened, Dave, because people said, well, that's an inherently governmental function and that shouldn't be contracted out to the private sector. And yet here we sit in 2021 or 2022. Geez, I'm still writing 2021 on my checks, by the way. And yes, I'm still writing checks to give you an indication of how long I've been at this. At any rate, um, we're sitting here at the beginning of 2022, and this is now talking about sunsetting the entire Joint Regional Security Stacks project, which is exactly the reason that the Navy went the direction that it did. It never signed on to JRSS because it was doing what you just described, right? Well, and that gets back to the conversation we just had a moment ago about if you if you let it take too long, you're going to always be behind. Yeah. You know, we could talk about the joint regional security stacks. We could talk in the rest of the government about trusted internet connections, right? I mean, there, you know, when trusted internet connections started, it was all about an enclave environment and how to reduce internet access points. But if it takes years to put it into place, the next thing you know, you've moved to the cloud. And, and great that now we have a tech 3.0, but you have the same sort of situation. The, the operational environment for the Army, who was the initial advocate for joint regional security stacks, looked very different than the, than the way the Navy was operating or the Marines. Or the, and so, so if you have a program that you try to make one size fit all and you take years to do it, the next thing you know, you've fallen way behind and now cloud has emerged and we're doing everything differently. So what do we do then to combine these two what do we do's? Because the, the what do we do's that, that I'm talking about are the hardware problems as outlined in Fix Our Computers and the networking challenge that's outlined in the, uh, the Thunderdome issue that um, uh, this is bringing about to replace the JRSS. It's all got to work. And that's all dependent on all of those pieces. It doesn't strike me that there's a lot of margin for error to get it wrong in an environment where we are about to see a new national defense strategy and we are seeing a lot of noise in Ukraine and we're seeing a lot of noise in the South China Sea that really is dependent, uh, our response is dependent on the Defense Department being able to do the most basic functions that it's supposed to do. Yeah. So, you know, so first I applaud DISA for being for working on zero trust architecture, because it really is a crucial way of looking at 
the way we should be doing things in a, in a world that's highly mobile, highly dispersed and, and highly web-based. But, but having said that, we have to bring more speed to the process. You know, I look back on the Department of Defense Common Access Card, another technology solution that's been in place for over decades. And, and you know, it reached critical mass really quickly. And the reason it reached critical mass is because once again, like using OTAs, it sort of went around the, the cumbersome process at the time. Since smart cards were basically a commodity technology, despite the fact that it was a program that was going to hit millions of people in every part of the Department of Defense, it, 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 went, it didn't go through some of those acquisition hurdles of, you know, complex oversight that took years to do. Years after the program was in place, there were still parts of DOD trying to argue whether it should have been done, right? But it moved fast enough that people actually had new technology in their hands and some, I'll say, killer apps, right? The ability to do web-based transactions like file your travel claim, the ability to physically access a base, the ability to do cryptographic logon so you could avoid password cracking. All of a sudden, you had a user base that had value of it quickly. And so it reached it reached critical mass before it could be thwarted. Because otherwise, there were still groups in DOD for legitimate reasons, wanting to do oversight on it and say, maybe we should never have done it years after the fact. When you have that kind of a focus, you're going to constantly doubt yourself and second guess yourself until once again, it takes years to implement an EHR solution or years to get an ERP in place or years to get to a faster refresh rate for technology. The problem is the culture then, isn't it? Like it, it always comes around to that, it seems. Yes. And, and, you know, that's why, like, I beat the drum a lot about, you know, we need to move from a culture of oversight to a culture of outcomes from everything from congressional oversight committees to like the internal process of the Department of Defense, because we'd be in a much better place if, you know, we were, we were actually like managing the, the agency's progress on getting the work done rather than help making them continue to defend why they're going about getting the work done the way they are. Because one of the notes I jotted down here, uh, particularly about JRSS, is how do we make sure that Thunderdome doesn't become JRSS, but it's that cultural piece, it strikes me, that you just talked about. Right, right. If we keep nitpicking it forever instead of giving it a chance to work, we'll be admiring the problem for years. All right, Dave Wintergren, uh, terrific to talk to you. Thanks very much. I appreciate your time today. Great to be with you, Francis. You can read more about all the issues Dave talked about in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Chief Data Officer at NASA, Ron Thompson, on tomorrow's Daily Scoop podcast. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.